Happy Sunday to you, and thank you for tuning in to TalkJive.org in our pilot episode of Sunday Dinner. And this is where we bring community members in, and uh, we talk about just different events and issues that are plaguing some of our communities here in Oklahoma. Today, my very first guest is Donna. She is a teacher here in Oklahoma and very, very involved in education issues and other things. Welcome, Donna. Hi, thank you for having me. I appreciate you coming in and talking to us today. Let's get right to it. I mean, let's talk about the walkout. I mean, that was a huge thing, and I didn't understand. I mean, it was it had a lot of momentum at first, and then all of a sudden, it just it seemed like it fizzled. What happened? Well, um, just to take a, a step back and look at it, it's been uh, over 10 years in the making. Um, uh, over and over, we've had... Uh, legislative process come through and it would seem like we would get teacher pay raises and then it would die um and oklahoma teachers are on the last word number 49 as far as teacher pay um so this has been building and building and building but uh i think last year the year before there was some legislative action that was going to happen to help uh the teachers of oklahoma get a pay raise and that bill died um, that bill went down and it died. So uh, it was just festering and kept building. So um, the teachers across Oklahoma uh, came together social media. And um, it was through social media and through um, Oklahoma Educators Union, the OEA. Um, they put together kind of like an ultimatum. If this didn't happen, if the um, legislators did not find a way to pay the teachers, that there was going to be a state walkout. And the week before the walkout, actually, I think the legislators put together the, the 1010XX. And the 1010XX was going to fund uh, education. Um, it gave a good percentage, I, I think... I can't remember my numbers correctly, but it gave a good percentage to teacher pay raises, but it didn't give a lot to the classroom. And that's where we were upset as teachers as a whole is, you know, that's we funding education shouldn't be uh, something we have to fight for. It should be normal. So um, not funding the classroom was one of our biggest things because we have been cut uh, over and over and over in the last 10 years. We have been cut. Um, we have watched um, teachers leaving by the droves, leaving education, leaving the state. And then you see um, an influx of alternatively certified teachers, uh, emergency certified. Um, so bringing in, and that's great that they want to be there, but it's, it's just a different setting uh, for these teachers, not having that initial background um, in education how to manage a classroom. So uh, they get burned out pretty easily. So we had this huge movement. Everybody rallied. Um, we came together, and we wanted to tell the legislators it's not all right to treat us uh, like we're not a professional. It's not all right to treat us as babysitters. We are professional. We um, are very educated. We are very knowledgeable about our skill set and helping our, our future. So that all came in, and we had a huge rally um, at the Capitol. And what had happened was uh, different parts of the bill started to get cut. The hotel-motel tax was taken out, and that was over 20%. Um, and then other 
parts of it was just getting kind of butchered. So we just needed more. Uh, we wanted to make them aware that we were there. And the ball and dice bill was passed, and that was supposed to go to education, a portion of it. Um, and then what happened after that was almost um, just kind of a, a drop in momentum, a drop in support. I think our community supported us. Our parents supported us. Um, at my school, we had our uh, admin supporting us. So they're very supportive. It was, um, we don't know for sure, but we're thinking it was the OEA getting pushed back and making it seem like they need to tell us to go back, go back to work and uh, not worry about anything else, that everything else is going to be taken care of. So the OEA kind of, um, they dropped the ball. I mean, they, they didn't fight as hard as they could have. So um, they dropped the ball, and uh, it seemed like we went in as lions and came out as kittens at the end of that. So um, I think now momentum is building back up after the primaries. You know, I there you said so much in there that I have a lot of questions on because as someone who is not an educator, who never had any intention of being an educator, and right now I will say thank you so much for for putting your talents and your priorities in teaching our kids because there are people like myself who who are ill equipped to to handle that, and and I'm kind of with you. You know, it's great that they want to that people want to come through and help. You know, be emergency teachers and, and fill those gaps. But my issue as a taxpayer, as a voter, as a citizen is, you know, just kind of like that point that you made, they are not trained that in it to teach that certification. I mean, that means something. And, it, and I like how you said classroom management, because that is a very integral part of, of teachers and mm-hmm. what they do. And, and to me, that really, um, it takes away from the profession overall because that lessens the qualifications of the people like you who have gone to school, who have your certifications. A lot of teachers have master's degrees. And so all of that education that they went and worked and, you know, achieved, now somebody who you know, may have just gotten out of high school themselves, now all of a sudden they get to go and teach P.E.? You know, I, it's, to me, that is a whole other issue and a whole other slippery slope about, about us being 49th in teacher salary. You know, when she said, we're not babysitters, that's the thing that hit me because it was so many people during that teacher walkout that really looked at it like, that was the only reason why they wanted the walkout to end was because their kids were at home. It was like, summer ain't here yet. I'm still trying to hang out. I don't want my kids here all day long. Please end this walkout. And it was it, it kind of shook me a little bit to think that that's what people were worried about. Not that their kids were getting subpar education. Not that their kids are learning from books that are 20, 30 years old. But that's what they're worried about is that their kids were going to be at home longer than what they wanted them to be. And that's what, like, there was so many people that looked at the teachers as 
babysitters. That's exactly what they thought of them. Well, and here's something interesting to me that, and and I make this point to the deadbeat cousins and the deadbeat baby daddies of cousins and the deadbeat baby mama cousins of cousins that I have, you know, and it's like when it's your kid, it's not babysitting. And when they're at school, they're there to learn. And that, you know, this, that's a, that's a function. And it's just, what does that say about how a lot of these people look at their parenting responsibilities and for Pete's sakes, how is it to deal with those people when you have to deal with parents on that level who think that you're just a glorified babysitter? How do I deal with them? Yes. Um, I, I build my relationship with them. I do. I think that's the really important with, with my parents. Uh, as far as me, I, I build my relationship with my parents and let them know that their kid is number one to me. Um, and when they hear that, they're, they're, they'll do, let me, you know, they'll help me out. So, um, except for the ones that I never see, never hear from, then I have to be that kid's extension of a parent. Um, and when I started teaching high school, having students come in and, uh, tell me pretty much point blank, you know, my mama doesn't even care what I make. They, my daddy doesn't even care what my test score is. Why do you? Um, because Ugh. I care. And I'm going to, and I'm going to be right here until I know, because I know you can do it, and I'm going to help you get through there. So that's where I come from. And then uh, in that case, my students are, they'll do anything that I ask. That's fantastic. And, you know, another side of that is when I talk to dedicated teachers and educators like yourself, it really makes me it upsets me that you'll have to provide most, most if not all of your classroom supplies, but yet you don't make enough money. So that's where I feel like the disconnect is with the state leadership and even with OEA and the unions and the school districts themselves. It's like, um, you're not going to pay me enough to even manage this classroom appropriately when I'm representing your school district. I'm teaching children in your school district, but the, you're not prioritizing getting me current books. You're not supplies or anything, but you're also, they're also not prioritizing giving you the salary that you need. If they're going to, if they're going to expect you to do that, fine, but bump up your salary about, oh, $20,000 a year if you have to buy your own supplies, you know? So it's really, it's, it's, it angers me to, to know that I'm a taxpayer and that this is what I want my tax money to go to. It's what it's supposed to go to. And these school districts right here, in Chickasha, we've had some issues now with our school board, and it's been on the statewide news and misappropriation of funds and misuse of resources and, you know, just all kinds of things that you can think of. I mean, as an educator, I mean, how do you, I'm, how do you, how do you deal with that, like, waste, fraud, and abuse when you see it, not just in your school districts, but in others, and see what your colleagues have to deal with? Um, being in education and being in education over 10 years, I, I don't blame them. Because when you're backed into a corner and you have nothing, you try and make something out of nothing. And uh, I think what happened with Chickasha was very, very unfortunate. Um, but I, I think a lot of it came from... Uh, desperation and being desperate, which is, I mean, that's where a lot of educators are put right now. They're put in desperation. I know when I first started and especially elementary, I spent, oh, probably over $500 a year in my classroom. 
and we have four kids. Um, so that was very, very difficult to, to find that money and see, you know, where that money was going to come from. And I think when you have teachers in that sort of situation, you're going to move money around, whether you should or shouldn't. And I don't think they should. But I think sometimes out of desperation to keep a teacher, to keep teachers where they are, you're going to do things that you probably shouldn't do. Now, how many kids were you teaching that year, approximately? That year was my first year. I had 24. So basically, you were supporting 28 kids on on your on your your family's your family's household income. That's that's what I hear when yeah. when you say that to me because again, this isn't a new issue. This issue of teachers having to provide for this for their own classrooms, it, it, it's not new. But my 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 real issue with it is you see these superintendents who are getting paid $150,000 a year and they're driving a Cadillac that the school system the school system paid for. The school district is, you know, has the most bump and ride of anybody in town and, you know, the support staff, the you know, the admin assistant is is, you know, doing is doing her shopping at Hobby Lobby in it or whatever. So I mean, those are the kinds of things that I see happening in a lot of the school districts. Another thing too is, you know, and to me, there are, there needs to be a way to put in a database, predatory teachers and predatory coaches, those educators and people who have been allowed to move around the state and move in from other states who impregnate students, who, flat out sexually assault or abuse students um and you know coaches teachers support personnel it doesn't matter if you're preying on children you don't need to be rehired in any form of where you're going to have any kind of direct contact i don't care who you are i don't care what your job is or what your qualifications are a predator is a predator is a predator right you know so they're, (laughs) they're supposed to all have a background check done Every single teacher that applies for an application to become a teacher and applies for a certification is supposed to have a background check done. Um, I went to the police department and had my background check done, and it cost about 50 bucks. And you take it up there and you get your certification. So what happens on that end is probably probably the you know who is not uh, who's not coming forth and saying something, who's not pressing charges on these people who's staying quiet because, yeah, he's a good coach or she's a good Ugh. coach. That's I don't like that either. I think they all should um, – it should be on your record forever, and it should not be, you know, just expunged. It shouldn't be hidden. When you apply for that certification, it better be marked that that happened and uh, to be aware of who these people are that are coming in. And it happens a lot with um, our some emergency certified teachers as well. Um, there is a teacher in UConn who got caught with a kiddo. And she was emergency certified, and uh, it, you know, it just—I don't know how they slipped through the cr- the cracks. Maybe because they are emergency and they didn't wait for everything to pass, or maybe this was her first time. Probably not, but you know, it, things like that. And for the admin side, there's a cap. There's a salary percentage. Uh, the state legislature does that. So there's a six percent on how much you spend. Six um, percent is on admin, and a lot of the state is at four percent uh so if they want you know less spending on admin um 
they're going to have to adjust that somewhere. So the, you're allowed to spend 6% of your total budget on administration. Um, I don't know how the, the cars get in there. Um, I don't know how that, I know a lot of them, at least the superintendents, some of them get their An allowance. Cars. Some of them have an allowance. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, some of them, yeah, I've, I've looked into some of this stuff because it's like I said, I'm just, I, I don't have children, but I pay a lot in taxes because I don't have children. So I'm, I'm always looking where my tax dollars yeah. go and they're allotted and I'm very vocal about it because to me... I mean, and it's just like we're talking about all of these issues with this emergency certification. And that's another thing, too. Do we even know emergency with the quotes around it, this emergency certification? Are we just pushing that stuff through because it has the name emergency in front of it? You know, I mean, does that does that mean all the rest of the rules and all of the rest of the procedures go out? Because, oh, we got to get this done now, 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 because it's the summer and we got to let everybody know when they have lunch come August you know so there's over 2,000 that have been emergency certified this year over 2,000 people um, and a lot of them are uh, you have to have a bachelor's degree you have to have and it can be in anything you have to have your emergency your um, fingerprints done your background check that's supposed to be in there um, so you have to have these things a lot of our emergency certified teachers are going into special ed classrooms which that takes very specialized training to be able to um, teach these kiddos. And there's not enough teachers that are graduating. There's not enough teachers who are staying in this state. And there's not enough teachers staying in Oklahoma, um, well, in education. For Yeah. So. so what I'm hearing here is that the most sensitive student population that each school has is now, uh, by and large, being handled and managed by people who are not trained to do that to, and to handle those sensitivities and to handle that sensitive group. Yeah, and the school districts, um, depending on where you are, try their best to do PD, you know, professional development for these teachers, um, and they try, but it's, it's, um, the, there are, our capital has put us in a bind. I mean, it, we, they put us in a bind and partly our fault too, if we're not getting out there and voting. Uh, yes, I, I'm a big proponent of voting. I mean, especially with the primaries here. And, you know, November's coming up. I really wish we could get more Indians involved because Indians, I mean, we're we're a big chunk of the population here in Oklahoma. In my hometown of Anadarko, I mean, we're, what, 75% there. And it, there's no, but there's no Indian representation. We don't have any of the county commissioner seats. We don't have, I mean, we have, I think, a couple of the school board seats, but are there any Indians on the city council there in Anadarko? I don't think so. And and by and large, they don't turn out to vote because my vote doesn't count. Mm -hmm. Oh, that doesn't matter. But yet, I, don't get me on my soapbox. Let's kick the Anadarko soapbox away for now and get back get back to education because actually this this is actually part of the the Anadarko issue that I see and this is something that I noticed during the walkout and it was something that a lot of school districts became antagonistic about during the walkout. It's kind of like you said at first everybody was rah rah and the the administration's 
seem to grudgingly accept and allow it. And then I want to say it was Western Heights. I can't remember. It was on the news that they were like strong arming their teachers. Like you got to come back or you're not going to have a job to come back to. And then I was, I was like Norma Ray. I'm like union, call your union, you know? And then, and that's kind of where I was with you. Like, Oh yeah. I was like, Oh, well everybody can just, well, you know, we'll pick this up. And it's like, no, 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 you don't, you don't put down your arms. You go in and you fight and you say, Nope. We're a union. We have collective bargaining, and that's that, and one for all and all for one. That's how I felt about it, and I was I was really disheartened to see the first teachers, you know, kind of cross the lines and go back. I get it. I get the rationale. I get you don't want to be without your job, but, man, that's what your union's for. That's why you pay those union dues, Norma Ray. you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's just – and. The Oklahoma legislature has really, you know, pulled the teeth of unions and, you know, they don't like they don't want the unions to tear the fascists down here. They they want to make sure that they continue to operate the way that they always have. So it's it's really disheartening that but it's now affecting our most sensitive people. Um, let's talk about something else that's, that's a, that is a, a big issue here with, with the tribes. You know, we're both tribal members. We're all tribal members here. And, um, one of the things I want to ask you about is the tribal gaming compacts. You know, some of those are expiring this year and they're theoretically supposed to give a lot of money to education but is that just gone down in some black hole or i fought and fought to try and find out this issue um uh, after it was posted on facebook i did go and ask and um it, it started going like wildfire all over and oea did try and put that out they tried to say that um well, I think they did come out and say that a portion of it was used for education, a portion of it goes into a general fund, and a portion of it goes to uh, transportation, which all of it, all of it is supposed to go to education, I think, uh, from, from the compact. I emailed uh, um, someone from the Gaming Commission, and they had told me that it was all supposed to go towards education. So what happens with this, I, it was... Um, 200 million, I think, altogether, um, with the Cherokees and the Chickasaws putting the mo the biggest portion in. Uh, from they they take so much from a year, uh -huh. and, uh, and there's an itemized list from every tribe that contributes. Um, my poor little tribe was in the red, so we haven't contributed much of anything here lately. But we, uh, it, it all goes into education supposedly. Now they funnel it into the 1017. The 1017 is then, uh, that's where a lot of, that's the education fund. So a lot of the money from a lot of different places go there. So instead of um, getting that whole portion, you now are in uh, with 700, it all adds up to about 700 million. And that is in the general fund. Uh, some of it goes to the general fund. Education gets about 20% of that. So, uh, it's not, from what it looks like, it's not all going to education. It's being funneled into a 1017, which is the education almost like bank account. So, um, which is put into other money and then other money is called general, uh, you know, funding. So it's moved around, but nobody can, nobody had a hard line explanation of, you know, if the money is actually going to education. 
Um, I know one of the uh, representatives who's now running for labor commissioner told me directly that um, uh, Anna Tubby has assured her that um, nothing is going to happen with the gaming compact, that, that it was going to be secure, that nothing was going to happen to it. So I was thinking one guy, I know he's a big portion of that, but one guy, I don't know if that one guy has talked to everybody. So hopefully we can get all of our you know, tribal leaders together and demand that we have this money is actually going to these kids, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, any time that anybody tells me the state or the government is moving money around, to me, they're moving it in. I mean, because 51% of the Oklahoma state budget is unaccounted for. That tells me it's in a slush fund. And slush funds are basically the government's way of making it rain for themselves. So it's just, it's really disheartening to hear that this, you know, as hard as the tribes work to get these gaming compacts in place you know all those years ago and the hoops that we had to jump through and continue to jump through because now that they're expiring you know you know the tribe or the state's going to be picking the tribal pockets just it's it's going to be really interesting to see how how that works out and you know um but so let's let's bring all of this for full circle. I mean, we we talked about the walkout. We talked about some of the issues. I mean, where do we go from here to improving things for our teachers so we don't have the brain drain here in Oklahoma? Where do we go from here? We vote. We stay aware. Um, I think right now we had over twenty three uh, teachers uh, win their elections. Twenty three people who nice. are teacher affiliated. Um, there are six people who are still in the, the Capitol or at the Capitol who are totally against, you know, revenue. They're against uh, education. They were hardline against, but, and they're still up there. Um, being aware who is running, who is going to, who, who's going to help you in the end, and, and not saying that my vote doesn't matter. Um, every vote matters. If we looked at a couple, I don't know if you remember the guy, his name was McDougal. He got on Facebook and he had a live feed saying he wasn't going to sign another teacher bill. He wasn't going to help I the did teachers. See him, yes. Yeah. He, uh, I think won by three votes. So I think there's a runoff maybe. I'm not quite sure, but I, that was the one thing that your vote matters. It does matter. And when you build these relationships, go up there, talk to your representative, call them. I bug mine all the time. Um, let them know that you're real and you have real issues. Um, I think that's part of the human aspect of them. And some of them, I don't know if they are human at all. There are a few up there that I don't know if they are human. So <laughs> thankfully they're not my rep. But I think really getting out there and voting and making your vo voice heard, getting more uh, active in your school, knowing what's going on, going to the board meetings, um, knowing what's going on there. If you don't like an issue, go to the board meeting, get on the agenda, get your, your name up there and let them know that you're there, your voice matters, and you're going to talk. Um, and you want things done at the school, just, just being a voice. I think that's really important, too. And I think that we need to really encourage people to start contacting their reps. I think that we get this 
this notion in our head that, oh, they're in Washington, D.C., and oh, they're so important, and blah, blah, blah. You know what? I call James Langford all the time, and I yell at him at least once a month about, you represent every Oklahoman. You don't just represent the rich business interests. I mean, you go there, it says Oklahoma behind your name, that means me. And so you have a duty to me, too, and you have a duty to the constituents who did not vote for you because you're in and you represent us. So I like to call and yell at him at least once a month like that, so. So just to, like you said, just to let them know I'm here, man, and I right. pay taxes and I vote. Not only that, not only do I vote, I have a big mouth, and now I got my own radio station. So you know we're going to be bringing a lot of these people in and and asking the questions here, and just like we're doing today, just having some conversations with our community leaders and our members about how we can work together to 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 be better and to to do better for our kids in Oklahoma. Because if we don't start helping these kids right. Right now, the future of Oklahoma is in jeopardy. I don't oh, yes. care. I don't care how friendly the state government becomes to the tribes. I don't care how the fe- it goes on the federal level. If we don't do this here on the local level, we're failing our kids all, all right. by ourselves. And really, letting our uh, native kids know who are almost eighteen what what we're fighting for. You know, I was telling my kids, my grandpa and grandma were the first uh, people to be born a citizen in a country that they inhabited for generations. You know, we were allowed to vote in 1924. Um, I think every Native was allowed to vote as a nation in 1964. So we've been still fighting for these things, Um, fighting for rights, fighting for land rights, water rights. And the only way you can fight for that is by being able to vote and voting in people who are going to back you. Absolutely. And, you know, that's – I really want – our natives to understand, you know, we were talking about this the other day. Me personally, I'm only four generations off the plains. That is it. Four generations. So, I mean, some of these towns and some of these ranches here in Oklahoma have been settled longer than that. Longer than, you know, my great-grandma, what, she was born in 1914, so she was 12 years old by the time that uh, they became citizens. So, I mean, that is not very far in our Indian history and in our Indian culture. And these, these young people need to understand that, you know, I, I saw this meme on Facebook. It said, you know, yes, trauma and all of that is in our DNA but so is resiliency exactly. and we are we are resilient and I hope that we can work together to help impart that to our Indian youth because they really need it they they're they're floundering and so whatever we can do to to help get them on track I'm on board Donna, thank you so much for coming in on the first Sunday dinner show. Um, Please stay tuned. Every Sunday at noon, we're going to have a different community member in, and we're going to talk about the issues. We're going to have honest dialogue and just about the different concerns that we all have um, just living here and being global citizens and uh, working together. So, Donna, thank you so much. I hope you come back another time and talk some more issues with us. Thank you for having me. Thanks, everybody. Don't forget, stay tuned right here to Talk Jive. You can hear Sunday dinner every Sunday afternoon from noon to 1230. That'll do it for us today. Have a great day.